Hey there, Laura here. I want to mention that for the month of December, we're going to be taking a much needed Christmas break, but don't worry, there'll still be new episodes each week. For December, we are jumping back to share a few of the most viewed sessions from the 2020 Church Mental Health Summit. I can't wait to share some of these fantastic talks and resources with you. See, we so often in the body of Christ want to say, no, you're not alone. No, there is a future for you. No, here's the truth. But when we just, as people who are struggling with mental health issues, with depression, suicide, self-harm, hearing those words heaped upon us just feels like shame and rejection. Instead, we need the chance to open up and talk about what's going on with us. And we can ask some good questions too, just like God did. Like, how did you get here? What brought you to this place where you're hurting so much? What is hurting you? How long has it been this way? From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. The show today is a flashback of one of the top viewed sessions in our 2020 Church Mental Health Summit with Sarah Robertson. If you don't know Sarah, well, you are missing out because she is amazing. Sarah is the author of the book, I Love Jesus, But I Want to Die, Finding Hope in the Darkness of Depression. And after you hear this session from the summit, I know that you're going to want to hear more. I link to her website in the show notes, but I want to highlight an offer that she, is, that she has that I think will be incredibly helpful for people. Sarah has generously offered a guide of 16 simple, encouraging phrases that anyone can use to uplift those who are struggling. So often I hear that people don't know what to say, but with this guide, you don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing anymore. Go to hopemadestrong.org episode 15 to download this guide. I want to say up front that this topic of this episode can be triggering for some people and may not be appropriate for young ears. Sarah shares details of her personal story with suicide and self-harm, and it may be triggering. If that's the case, I encourage you to listen with a safe person or press pause and skip this week's episode. I've heard so many stories of well-intentioned Christians wanting to help, but their actions and intended encouragement fall short, and rather than uplift people, it buries them in shame. It appears to be a compulsive desire to find the cause of a problem, to establish fault or find solutions without awareness that this often causes further harm to people who are suffering, but it happens over and over again. People try to reconcile why someone is suffering and dig through the hurt and pain with the hope that they're going to find a logical cure or cause. But one thing that I've learned in 15 years of mental health work and counseling is that very few things in life are clear. There's no logic to mental health. There's no cure for grief. And there's no single cause for depression. If you really want to find a cause of suffering that people experience, the trail will lead you right back to the only black and white moment. All suffering and destruction stems from the fall in the Garden of Eden. 
That is the only place where you will see a clearly defined cause. It's the point where sin entered the world, and since then, generation after generation created such a web of trauma and fear that the suffering that people experience today is now gray and not black and white. But gray is uncomfortable, and as a result, people search for a cause, a solution, or a clear reasoning for this suffering. Because there must be a reason. Someone must be at fault. But there isn't. In support work, you are forced to learn how to be comfortable in gray areas. Only God is good. Only the devil is bad. Everything else is gray. Perpetrators are also victims. Addictive substances provide relief from pain and torment. But what I think people find frustrating is that there is no logic to depression or mental health struggles. There isn't a single cause or step-by-step process that will bring everyone recovery. Yet with mental health, people continue to look for a cause or solution. They say or ask things like, is there a sin in your life that has caused this to happen to you? Or if you just do these three things, you're going to start to feel better. Or if you truly love Jesus and are fully submitted to him, then you will find joy. Unfortunately, it's not always that simple. There are thousands of people who love Jesus, but still struggle with addiction or thoughts of suicide constantly live in their mind and they want to die. Those who are called to support others, we're cut from a different cloth. And I often say that we swim in the gray every day. We feel frustration with sin and empathy for the person at the same time. We have compassion and sit with people who are in pain, and then in another moment challenge them to grow. We navigate with people to overcome with no map or clear path. Those who support others have to give up on finding reason and cause and just learn to sit and be with people in those gray moments. This is what I see Jesus doing. He doesn't search for sin. He's present. He doesn't try to find cause or fault. He knows where that has come from. It was the fall in the garden. This is how we can be for others who are suffering in our community. We can be present in the moment with them. We can be a safe place for people to wrestle with their suffering. And we can be cheerleaders, mentors, and point people to the grace and love of Christ. This is what Sarah Robertson shares. Her talk is the story of her life and how well-intentioned people heaped shame upon her, and so she hid. But when a couple in her church became a safe place for her to find healing, there was hope and transformation. I hope you enjoy Sarah's talk and hear how your church can help people who are struggling with depression, suicide, and self-harm. Here's Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah Robinson, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you've chosen to equip yourself because I know that that means that you want to love people well, that as you have spent time out of your busy schedule coming to this mental health summit, and learning about what it's like for people to live with mental health challenges and how you can best serve them. I know that means you want to walk with people through the darkness, that you want to love them well, that your heart is for them to find healing and freedom and to know the abundant life that Jesus promised them. And so I'm just so grateful that you're joining us today. Uh, This session is on how to help people who are struggling with depression, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts. And so in the next few moments, I'm going to share my story, some pieces of my story of dealing with those three things, depression and self-harm and suicidal thoughts, and leave you with some simple tools that'll empower you to help others who are like me. 
See, I don't remember a time before depression. I don't remember a time before the ache and the gaping hole in my chest that threatened to swallow me alive. I've lived with depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts as long as I can remember. I have vivid memories of being in elementary school and staring out the window on the school bus as we barreled down the highway. And my mind was filled with these images of me jumping out the back and being run over and my life ending that way, even at eight, nine years old. I didn't know that that was a symptom of depression or that those were suicidal thoughts. I didn't know it wasn't normal. I just knew that I hurt and I had these intensely painful feelings inside of me that I didn't know what to do with. When I became a Christian in high school, I thought everything would get better. Um, I believed that Jesus fixes broken things, that if I did all of the right things, if I prayed and read my Bible and served, that I would live this beautiful, joyful life. And some leaders around me who noticed I was struggling really reinforced those ideas. You just need to have more faith. You just need to choose joy. You just need to focus on others. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray subtly suggesting that if I could stop focusing on myself and my problems, that everything would get better. So I did. I studied my Bible. I joined the worship team. I went on missions trips. I led prayer groups at my high school. I helped distribute food to needy families and struggling people in our community. I graduated from high school, went on to college, became an assistant leader in the youth ministry, and started mentoring middle school and high school students. Eventually, I became a youth pastor and I filled every spare minute of my life with ministry. But the darkness, the pain, the confusion, the fog, it refused to lift. Nothing made it better. And those thoughts of death, of ending my life that came into my mind like a horror movie I just couldn't turn off, started coming more and more frequently. Those are called intrusive thoughts of suicide or intrusive thoughts of self-harm because that's what they do. They just intrude on your life whether you want them there or not. And eventually that was all I saw when I closed my eyes. I didn't know the weariness and the anguish and the fear and the anxiety were mental illness. I didn't know they were diagnosable as depression or an anxiety disorder. I just knew this pain was so intense, it was physical. I didn't know there was help available. I just knew I was a bad Christian and I couldn't choose joy and I was so deeply ashamed. So I started cutting to cope with the pain. And for a really, really long time, nobody had a clue. See, there's this misconception that self-harm is this attention-seeking behavior, that people do it to make other people feel bad for them or as a cry for help. But for many, many people, that's not the case. Most of us who've struggled with this are so deeply ashamed of it. I carefully hid my wounds under my clothes. I made sure never ever to harm myself in a place anybody would be able to see. I hated myself for it. I never wanted anybody to find out. And for a long time, I thought nobody would. But eventually it got to the point where I realized I could not stop 
on my own. And as I struggled with this, I also was very deeply suicidal. And I knew that if I didn't get help, I wasn't going to make it. See, what people don't really realize about self-harm is that it's a coping mechanism. It's actually a method that people use to manage intense, overwhelming negative emotions. See, there were these awful feelings inside of me, this um, pain, my chest hurt, my heart wouldn't stop pounding, my limbs felt like they were made of lead and like I couldn't get out of bed in the morning, and I just wanted it to stop. And so I needed a way to release them from my body. Self-harm is also not the same as a suicide attempt. Many people do struggle with both, and I was one of those people, um, but it's not the same thing. See, because it's a coping mechanism, self-harm, even though it's not a healthy or safe strategy, it's something people often use to get through their worst moments that otherwise may result in a suicide attempt. And I know that seems wild and confusing, but if it gives you a, a moment of relief, it may allow you to keep going for a little longer. Something else that people may not understand about self-harm is that for many people, um, when you feel numb, it lets you feel alive. See, one of the curses of depression is that it alternates between these intense, powerful, overwhelming negative feelings and this numbness, this intense deadness where you just can't connect with anything. You don't feel sad. You don't feel happy. Nothing you used to enjoy gives you pleasure anymore. And so when I felt dead inside, Self-harm also made me feel alive. It made me reconnect with feeling something, anything at all. But self-harm can be incredibly addictive and it's very difficult to stop for many people. I know it's tough to understand why somebody would do this, why somebody would intentionally harm their body and why they would keep doing it repeatedly if you've never dealt with self-harm. But when our bodies get hurt or when we're under a lot of stress, they're designed to release hormones and chemicals to soothe us, to calm us, and to make us feel good. They're called endorphins. It's the same thing that happens when people talk about a runner's high. Um, it's the same thing that is linked to chemical and drug addictions. And so when somebody is in constant pain, emotional, um, even physical, there's a lot of physical uh, pain involved in depression a lot of times, or when they're incredibly numb, which can be distressing as well. This moment of release can feel like such welcome relief. Having a few minutes where those endorphins flood your body um, can be addictive. It's a powerful feeling and it can become a compulsion that's incredibly hard to resist, something that you feel like you can't get through the day without doing. But it's a vicious cycle. And the feeling of relief doesn't last long. For many of us, I would say most of us who've dealt with self-harm, there's an intense, almost um, indescribable level of shame. We know this isn't healthy. We know this isn't something that other people are going to understand. We know that it doesn't make sense. And 
many of us, myself included, hated ourselves for doing that. We're often left feeling so much worse afterwards. We get those few moments of relief, but then we feel awful afterwards. Um, it's like that verse Paul says, like that very thing that I hate, I can't stop doing. And of course, even if somebody doesn't intend to end their life, self-harm is really dangerous. It can result in serious and life-threatening injuries. It takes a lot of forms other than just um, cutting. There are people who um, will intentionally get into fights or punch walls or um, put themselves into other dangerous situations. Essentially, any type of way that you could harm yourself is something that somebody has done for self-harm um, to process those difficult emotions. And so it can leave you in a very difficult um, and unsafe position. So how do we help? What do we do as Christians and as believers to help those who are struggling with this? Well, there's this really beautiful story in uh, the book of 1 Kings 19 where God responds to somebody who's struggling not specifically with self-harm, but severe depression and even suicidal thoughts. And there's a lot we can learn from it. So I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3-7. through 7. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who've already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So as I mentioned, as the body of Christ, there's a ton that we can learn from God's response to Elijah here. Um, first is that God didn't argue with Elijah. He didn't tell him he was wrong. You have so much to live for. God has a future and a hope for you. He didn't do any of those things. First, he responded to some really practical um, needs and practical concerns that Elijah had. He made sure he got a nap and some food. And when we're trying to help those battling depression, self-harm or suicidal thoughts, we need to consider some practical things. This is often an area that's overlooked. We need to think about, are they safe? Are they getting what they need? Are they um, overwhelmed by a practical issue in their life that if we could help them with it, it would help um, take some of that pain and some of that overwhelm away. And then I love that God acknowledged and validated Elijah's struggle. He said, the journey is too much for you. You don't have to understand somebody's battle with mental illness to make them feel loved and cared for and safe. Just acknowledge the things that are weighing them down, the fact that they're hurting, that they may be overwhelmed, and even that you don't understand it. It's okay to say, I don't get this, I don't relate to this, but I love you and I can see that you're hurting and I'm so sorry. And then God listened to his brokenhearted cries. In verse 10, um, it goes on that God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Instead of hearing that as a criticism, like, what are you doing here? I hear it as an invitation. 
and then Elijah gets this opportunity to pour out his heart and talk about all the things that he's afraid of, the things that are overwhelming him, the things that are scaring him. And God doesn't respond right away to the lies that he's believing. See, we so often in the body of Christ want to say, no, you're not alone. No, there is a future for you. No, here's the truth. But when we just, as people who are struggling with mental health issues, with depression, suicide, self-harm, hearing those words heaped upon us just feels like shame and rejection. Instead, we need the chance to open up and talk about what's going on with us. And we can ask some good questions too, just like God did. Like, how did you get here? What brought you to this place where you're hurting so much? What is hurting you? How long has it been this way? And once God had dealt with Elijah's needs, he'd helped him both physically and emotionally, then he responded to those lies that he believed. We wanna skip straight to telling people the truth, but there's this great pattern here of responding to their physical needs and emotional needs before trying to respond um, to the lies that they are believing. So God responded with this tenderness and care and compassion before he comes back and says, but you're not alone, Elijah. There's others who've not um, surrendered to the idols. There's others out there just like you, and I still have a future for you. And here's the things that you can do to move forward. God gave him a path forward, um, but not until he acknowledged where he was. And sometimes we want to help. We desperately want to help and we want to say all of the right things, but we just don't know how. We want to respond in kindness and tender compassion like God did, but we're, we just aren't sure what to do. And so I've created a really simple shame-free guide that'll walk you through how to talk to those who are struggling with depression, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts. It's completely free. It has some basic principles as well as 16 phrases that anybody can use to talk to somebody. So if you feel overwhelmed or unsure about what to say, you can literally just pick phrases out of this to put in your back pocket and have when someone opens up to you about their struggles. It even will help you learn how to broach the conversation and how to start talking to someone who you suspect might be struggling. And you can get that at beautifulbetween.com slash what to say. See, the truth is helping somebody through this kind of darkness and this kind of um, trial doesn't have to be hard and confusing and scary. I'm still here today because a young couple responded to me the way that God responded to Elijah. I was in college and I was overwhelmed and crushed with the weight of my depression and these constant suicidal thoughts and this pattern of self-harm that I wasn't able to stop. And I had watched this couple for a while and I'd gotten to know them and noticed that they were always kind and compassionate and they seemed pretty comfortable with other people's pain. And so late one night I showed up on their doorstep with fresh wounds hidden under my clothes and I was terrified. I told them I'd been cutting, told them I was so depressed and I wanted to die and I will never ever forget their response. They said, I'm not disappointed in you. I don't think any less of you. I love you 
and God still loves you and I will walk through this with you. Those simple words gave me the first hope that I had in a long, long time. It didn't fix anything for me, but it gave me hope to fight. And so I would go on to eventually learn how to reconnect with God in a really healing way. I would eventually go to therapy and take medication and learn to practice really healthy self, self-care habits that keep me healthy and whole, even as I struggle with depression and anxiety. But all of that started because a young couple at my church wasn't afraid to look into the broken pieces of my life, to see the shattered parts of my heart, and to tell me they still loved me and they weren't disappointed. Pastors, leaders, church, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just simple, kind, caring words and compassionate actions that heal way more than you know. It's much simpler to save a life and to help somebody find freedom than you know. You don't have to be afraid to walk with people through their pain. You can do this. You can do this. And the God who is always near to the brokenhearted and saves those whose spirits are crushed will be with you as you do. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? Make sure you grab that download at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 15. And if you enjoyed listening, write a review. And if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks and take care.